0: Have your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to Matthew chapter two, and we're in a series of messages really based around the idea of Advent that we call Great Expectation. And Advent is really about the expectation and preparation of the arrival of Jesus, and so traditionally celebrated the first um, four weekends leading up to Christmas uh, in the in church history, about you know four or five hundred you know BC. Um, I'm sorry, AD, uh, it, it really became to include the idea of preparing for the second coming of Christ. So there's the first coming and the second coming, but it's about anticipation and preparation for the coming of, of, of Christ. And that's why we celebrate it this time of year leading up to Christmas when we celebrate Christ's birth. And I really, you know, just, I think what God put on my heart with this series is just we know God has a plan. We know God is always working. We know that from the Word of God. We know that the culmination of all these things comes to this new creation that God does, this redemption of mankind and creation and all of that. So God is working that plan. And we want God to work in our lives. And we want God to work through our lives. And how many know God comes to prepared places? God works through prepared people. And so many times we're praying for God to do things, and we should absolutely pray uh, for God to do things and to work. But many times God works in us before he works through us. God does something in us. And so I just, as a church, I just want to you know, say that I, I believe God is working in and through our church. And we see evidence of that. God is working in and through your lives. And praise God for that. But we want God to work through our lives. And we want to be a part of his plan. Which means we have to prepare ourselves. And we have to expect and anticipate that God will use us and God will work through our lives. And really that's what this season is about. And that's what this series is. Uh, is about and so today we're in Matthew's gospel and so Matthew and Luke give us um, parts of the birth narrative of Jesus they're different there are similarities but there are distinctions Um, and it really has to do with the fact that Matthew and Luke are obviously two different people they're writing at two different times they're writing to two different groups of people Luke was probably a Gentile at least he was a very Hellenized Jew now if that sounded like I was cussing I wasn't Hellenized just means uh, inundated with Greek culture. And so he was a Greek Jew, right? He was Jewish, but very Greek in his culture. And so, um, but probably Luke was a a Gentile. um, And Luke writes to, you know, someone who's Theophilus, and there's this, anyways, the bottom line is when Luke does Ancestry.com in his gospel, he's really talking about Mary's ancestry, uh, but Luke focuses more on the marginalized, and sometimes women were marginalized very much in their culture, and, and there's some that are down and out, and you kind of see that in Luke's gospel. Matthew is writing to tell Jews Uh, probably in Antioch of Syria. So today, modern day, that'd be the border of Syria and Turkey. So he's riding to there. And he's telling Jews that Jesus is the king that he is the, the rightful heir of the throne of David. So in his hisancestry.com, he uses Joseph's ancestral line, but also he arranges it very interestingly because there are three sections in Matthew's genealogy. I know most, okay, let's just be honest, truthful, real quick. How many skip the genealogies when you read through the Bible? It's okay, I do too. It's okay, I do too. I, I mean, I've studied them, but I don't always read them. And some of you right now, I'm just going to be honest, you're lying. <laughs> And so, um, and that's okay. We still love you. We still love you. And thank God for his grace, because you lied in church. But anyways. But we I know we all like how many skip Leviticus? I like, there's just I'm not saying you should. Again, I feel like I don't feel like you're being very honest this morning. Uh, you know, there's like a whole scab in Leviticus, I mean a whole chapter in Leviticus of what to do if you have a scab. So, anyways. Bottom line, Matthew, when he does his Ancestry.com for Joseph, though, he he breaks it into three sections uh, from Abraham to David, David being the focal point, Abraham to David, David to the captivity, and captivity to Jesus. But interestingly, he uses 14 generations in each of those three sections. And the reason is they had this practice uh, kind of in ancient Hebrew of assigning numerical values to consonants. Um, and so the numerical value of David, King David, would be 14. So he gives 14 generations, 14 generations, and 14 generations because Matthew is trying to let people know. Like his, we, you know, here's your seminary word for the day, Christology, which is just how he wants Jesus to be portrayed or how he is portrayed. The picture he is painting, that's his Christology, that Jesus is. King. And I think that's why in Matthew chapter 2, we have the story of the Magi. Um, they probably were not kings, but definitely probably served kings. And when they come, they have an encounter with Herod, who the Jews saw as a fake king because he was not Jewish. He's an Edomian, so he was from south, and he was appointed by Rome. So Matthew, again, is contrasting Herod, the fake king, with Jesus, the true king. And when the Magi come to Herod, they say, where is he who is born, what, king of the Jews? And so Matthew is making a point that Jesus is king. And so if you want to stand with me, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read this story of the Magi, and then we'll kind of break it down together. But verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, by, by the way, there are Six Herods in the New Testament, and sometimes that can get confusing. Okay, so um, I can break it down very quickly. Not that you can remember this, but you can go back and listen to the podcast or YouTube. But um, this is King Herod the Great, who's going to die in four BC. But he was the one that was pretty ruthless, um, and you know, but he was also a great builder. He built Masada. He he expanded the temple. So this is King Herod the Great. Besides him, there are five other Herods. Three of them are sons of his. He had more sons. He's so ruthless, he killed one of his sons um, because he thought he was going to take over his throne. Um, But anyway, so there you have in the Bible, in the New Testament, just in the New Testament, you have King Herod the Great. Then he has three sons, Herod Archelaus, Herod Antipas, and Herod Philip. Herod Antipas is kind of the second famous one because that's the one who beheaded John the Baptist, and he's the one Jesus stands on trial before. So you have Herod, King Herod the Great, and his three sons, Archelaus, Antipas, and Philip. And then you have two grandsons of Herod, Agrippa I, Herod Agrippa I, and Herod Agrippa II. Herod Agrippa I is the one who kills James and imprisons Peter the first time, and then Herod Agrippa II is the one that Paul stands before. So this is King Herod the Great. Now everybody's caught up because I know this morning you were having your coffee and you were telling your wife, you know, the Herod thing's confusing. And I'm hoping Pastor really breaks down the Herods in the New Testament. And I just want to say, Merry Christmas. (laughs) All right. So this is before King Herod. They say, you know, where is he who has been born? Verse 2, King of the Jews. For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now Herod was, Jerusalem was troubled because he was troubled and he was troubled because they called Jesus a king. And remember, he killed one of his sons because he didn't want him to be a king, right? Um, So obviously he's troubled. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes and the people came together, he inquired to them where the Christ was to be born. So now they look at the book of Micah And they're going to give a quote. So he said, in Bethlehem of Judea, because this comes from the book of Micah. In fact, Matthew's going to quote it. For thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are the least among the rulers of Judah. But out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I love it that it says Bethlehem was the least, and it really was. But I love it that the greatest will come to the least of places. Amen, somebody. That may be your word today. Verse 7, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, hey, you go and search carefully for the young child. And when you find him, bring back word because I want to go worship him. And we all know that's a lie. Right, because he ends up the massacre of the innocents. He, he ends up killing all two-year-old Jewish boys. Not it probably was not nearly as many as we may think. Maybe twenty or thirty, but still that's too many. But he kills them because he's trying to kill Jesus. Uh, so he kills baby boys two years and younger. So we know he was not going to worship him. Uh, and verse ten. And when they saw the star, I'm sorry. And when they heard. And when they had heard the king, this is verse 9, they departed and behold the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. I just want to point out by this time Jesus is probably a toddler and we know that because it's not a baby, it's a young child and he didn't go to a stable or a cave but to a house, okay? And when they saw the star they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Today, I call this message really what I felt like God wanted us to talk about today was simply finding God finding God. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this time in your presence. Thank you so much for this time that we celebrate the coming of Christ. Thank you, God, that you came for us. Lord, help us now to lean in and to glean, Lord, whatever it is that you want to plant in our lives, in our hearts. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Um, I don't know, a month or so ago, Jan and I had the opportunity, we went out of town for a few days just to rest, and we went with some friends. And one of the friends said, you got to go to this particular store, this gift shop kind of place. And they took us there. And um, it it just had a lot of very, uh, I think interesting is a good word. Um, And hear me out on this. Interesting is a word that you can almost use like as an adjective in a way that doesn't really give a distinction on whether it's positive or negative, right? You know, like, hey, what did you think about, you know, so-and-so's uh, fruitcake? You know, it was interesting. It really was. You know, uh, what did you think about Pastor Sermon? It was interesting. You know, see, we don't know. But anyways, the, the shop was, it was interesting. And there ha- there were a lot of interesting things in there. So much so that I kept asking Jana, like, you think, I said, I'm amazed they're in business. Like, people are buying this, you know. And, and it wasn't that it was bad. It was just interesting. And I'm not going to talk about what was in there because you may own some of it. <laughs> and I don't want to upset you. But anyways, uh, but, it was, but they had this one shirt. Um, and this shirt had a picture of Sasquatch or a, a likeness of Sasquatch or Bigfoot, right? Everybody wear a Bigfoot Sasquatch. I actually have a friend that believes he's real. You may believe he's real. I don't know. I haven't studied. I haven't tracked him. haven't looked for him. I've been in the woods. Some I haven't found him, but, you know, there again. But it had a picture of Bigfoot, and it said, reigning hide-and-seek champion of the world, and now I thought that was funny. I'm like, that was kind of, it's kind of like the t-shirt going around now that said Mary knew, you know, and, uh, you know, cause we sing Mary, did you know? And there's a t-shirt, Mary. Okay. I'm glad we covered this. Cause if you see the t-shirt, you wouldn't have known it was funny anyways. All right. So, <laughs> but it's a bigfoot rain hiding, hiding, you know, hide and seek champion. Here's what I found as, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus is sometimes it feels like God's the reigning hide-and-seek champion of the world. I don't know if you've ever felt this way in your life, but sometimes it feels like, just to me, I'm not saying that he is. In fact, I think God is quite the opposite. But it can feel like, man, I just can't find God. Like, where is God? God feels so far away. God feels so distant. Sometimes we even have questions like, can we even hear God? Can we really find God? Will God really speak? Will God really reveal to us his will? Like, like, is that even possible? And the answer, listen to me, we're going to look at it today. But the answer is an emphatic yes. Listen to me. God is not, nor does he want to be, the reigning hide-and-seek champion of the world. God wants to be found. Isaiah 55, I mean, we see, we see it throughout the Bible. Isaiah 55 says, call to me while I'm near. Search for me while I can be found. Like, God wants to be found. And today, we're going to talk a little about seeking, but I want to focus a little bit on finding God because God wants to be found. And this is what we see In the story of these wise men, we see a God who wanted them to find him. Yes, they had to search, but God wanted him to find them. So let's talk about this. You can write this down because when we're talking about finding God, the first thing that is assumed is that finding implies seeking. Finding implies seeking. There's a theme throughout the Bible of seeking God. We see that with the with with David in the Psalms. He's like, early, I will, I will seek you. When when you said, seek me, my heart sought you with, you know, when you said, seek my face, my heart replied, Your face, O Lord, will I seek. I will seek him in the sanctuary. I mean, so much of what David talks about. We see this seeking God. You know, I talked about Isaiah, seek the Lord while he may be found. That's Isaiah 55. Amos also talks about seeking the Lord. Jesus talked about, hey, ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking. Jesus talked about seeking the Lord as well. So it's a theme throughout the Bible, but listen to me. The reason there's a theme of seeking is because God wants us to live a life of finding. That's a great thing to write down. The reason there is a theme of seeking in the Word of God is because God is inviting us into a lifestyle of finding Him. We seek, but only because God implants, God anticipates, God d- desires for us to find Him. Seeking, if you think about it, is intentional, right? Why? Because you don't accidentally find things. I mean, well, I don't know. I should say, so I have this thing, y'all. So I have this thing. I'm really bad about when I value something, hiding it in a place where it's safe. And then subsequently forgetting the place that I hid it in. Does anyone else have this problem? It's a disorder with me. I will tell Jenna I know I have one. I'll be fixing something, doing something. I'm like, okay, I know I have one of those. I don't know where it is, but it's in a very safe place. A place, in fact, so safe that I, as the owner, cannot locate it right now. Are you with me? And then, and then what? The search is on. And sometimes in searching for something I'm looking for, sometimes I will even find things that I forgot I had that I wasn't even looking for. Anybody else have that experience? I think sometimes that's what God is really after in our relationship with him is a lot of times when we're searching, seeking for God and we're seeking after God, sometimes God gives us treasures and God gives us revelation. And God gives us understanding and God gives us things we didn't even know to search after. We're going to see that here in a minute. So that's like a little clue. It's like not a spoiler alert, but it's just a little kind of like a little warning there, a little something's coming, right? You know what I'm saying? A little foreshadowing, if you will. But ultimately... Finding implies seeking, and seeking is not something that you, that, that, that you do accidentally. It's something that you do just like today. Today you thought, I'm going to seek the Lord today. So you made a plan, and you got up, and you got ready, and you got the kids ready, and you, you came to God's house because you said, you know what? I can't accidentally seek the Lord. I have to purposely seek the Lord. I have to prepare. I have to get ready, and I have to come to God's house. When we look at the wise men, they were intentional about seeking the Lord. Look at this. Matthew 2, 1 kind of tells us the implic it, it, it implies that they this was quite a plan and quite a process because, and we'll talk about why, but it says, now after Jesus was born, it says, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So they come to Jerusalem um, where he was, and they said, where is he that's been born king of the Jews? And so so there was this intentionality. Let's talk about the wise men. How did they end up in the birth narrative? How did they even know about Jesus? These are not Jewish men. They were not prophets of God. In fact, magi, they, they probably, not to mess up your nativity, so I'll just get everything out really quickly. And by the way, I'm not, a, I'm not a Grinch. I love Christmas. I love Christmas music. I love Christmas cookies. I love sugar gum fairies and gum drops and snow angels and cookie dough and, and even snuggling. Okay, so anyways... <laughs> It's kind of a playoff of Elf. But anyways, I um, love Christmas movies. Um, but, but how did they, because they're, they're not Jews. How did they end up in this story? How did they end up in our Christmas story? And the truth is, they're not Jews. They're not believers. They probably were not kings, although they probably served kings. Uh, there probably weren't three of them. There are three gifts. That's where we get three Um, They probably weren't there the night that Jesus was actually born. It's probably when he's a toddler. And I say all that to say, you know, just so we kind of understand the wise men, but let me just say I'm not against the nativity. Don't take your wise men out of it because they're part of the birth narrative of Jesus. They're part of the story. And I'm not against nativities. I think we should have nativities on every government piece of property in our nation. That's what I think. Amen. Praise the Lord. I think that, anyways, we can put everything else on there. So why can't we? And amen. So I'm not going to be political, but praise. The Lord, Merry Christmas. Anyways, but but where these wise what what happens? Well, the the wise men um, really are known as I think wise men kind of helps them sound better, and I'm not trying to you know degrade them at all. But they were magi, which magi uh, is plural magos would be uh, singular, but they were magicians. They were actually probably astrologers, astronomers, and sorcerers. Uh, We know this from Daniel chapter 2, actually. Daniel 2 verse 2 says, So the king summoned the magicians, that would be magi, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what his dream, that was King Nebuchadnezzar, what his dream really meant. Uh, Most theologians believe the magi kind of originated with Balaam. I don't know if you, Balaam was the one with the talking donkey, everybody. If you remember Balaam and his talking donkey, um, that's a different sermon, but Anyways, anyways, before there was Mr. Ed. Now, some of you, never mind. Some of you are like, who's Mr. Ed? Mr. Ed was a talking horse. Um, Never mind. Anyways, yeah, back when we had landline phones and uh, and people wrote checks. (laughs) Anyways, um, so uh, Balaam, um, who had the talking donkey, Balaam, if you remember, God's people are coming through the wilderness, and the king of Moab wants to defeat them so he wants to curse them so he hires Balaam to curse Israel and when Balaam Balaam of course he's like loosely a prophet for hire so he takes the money and then when he gets up to curse Israel he blesses them and the king of Moab gets mad and he's like I don't think you understood the assignment so let's try again, and again he gets up, and he just blesses them because the, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he just blesses them. But, so that's Balaam, but a lot of people think he was where the Magi originated, and Balaam is the first one to actually prophesy the star that brought the Magi to Jesus. In fact, you can see it in Numbers 24, 17. It says, this is Balaam. He says, I see him, that's capitalized, Talk about Jesus. But not now. I behold him, but not near. A star, because this is probably 1,400 years or so before the birth of Jesus. But but a star shall come out of Jacob. Look at that. So I see him, but not now. I, I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab. No wonder King Moab got mad, right? You know? and, and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And so Balaam prophesies this. So again, this is a lot of time before Jesus, but this is probably where the Magi originate. So how did these guys figure this out? Well, think about this. Persia conquers Moab. So what we know is the Magi came from Persia. They were Persian, okay? Persia conquers Moab. Then we know later they, they conquer um, King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, right? And so in that, we know uh, Nebuchadnezzar had taken a bunch of Jews like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego captive or into exile. So Persia conquers them. So now they have this Jewish history. So if you're Persian and you're wise and and you're these magi, you're studying history and you go all the way back to Balaam and you say, man, remember, Balaam was going to curse these Jewish people are Israel, and God saved them. And then you have the history of Esther and Mordecai and how God used Esther and Mordecai to save them. And that was under Persian rule to save the Jews from Haman, who was trying to literally... Um, wiped them out, right? And and then you have the history of Daniel, how how all the Magi could not interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but this Jewish guy could, and and how you know Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were going to be sentenced to death and are worse sentenced to death in the fiery furnace, but somehow God saved them. So you have all this history about this promised Messiah, and then you they would have had the prophecy of Daniel, where Daniel prophesies that the Messiah will come in five hundred. Four hundred and eighty-three years from his his prophecy, which kind of sidebar, and it depends on how you do the math. But essentially, um, one article really is a position paper, basically that I read. Um, journal entry read uh, from as a theologian, but it's very interesting about all the math. I'm sure you do similar things about you know that type of thing, but anyways, if you do all the math, he tracked it to Jesus was actually been born 450 years later, but if you tack on the other 33 years, he had it all the way down to the month and the year. That would have been the month Jesus went to Jerusalem riding in on a colt for the last time. And so he was saying this is how accurate Daniel's prophecy actually was. The point is, they knew of this Messiah. They knew of God's protection over Israel. And they knew of about the season he was supposed to come. And so they were watching. Are you with me? They were intentional about searching. Like, listen to me very, quick, very carefully. If you think about it, they were searching through prophecies. Okay, let me say it, let me put it in in our terms. So, today, if you're really seeking the Messiah, search through His Word. If you're really wanting to find God today, find Him in His Word his word will lead you to him. Remember what Jesus told the Pharisees? He said, you search the scriptures because you think they'll lead you to eternal life. And he said, but I'm the one, and I'm going to use my paraphrase, that all scripture points to. So if I want to find God, I can't do it with my Bible closed. Are you with me? And so today, Search the scriptures. And so what we see in the life of these wise men, listen to me, is they were searching the word of God. They were looking for God. They were intentional. And then let me give you two P words. They prioritized and they pursued. So let's think about this. These these guys, if you think about, they're in Persia, so that would be modern-day Iran. So, the route they would have taken would have been kind of around to the north. So, to get to Jerusalem and then eventually Bethlehem, it was a thousand miles. Probably not on camels, not to mess up your nativity. I think the camels should be in there. Probably, you know, Persian hoise, horses. But, um, but it's a thousand miles and would have taken nine months. So, they had all this preparation of searching the scriptures, all this preparation of anticipating, and then this nine month ride on horseback. In other words, let me just say it, they were intentional and they had you had to prioritize that. Are you with me? Kind of like being here today, I'm sure there are many things we could do today, but we prioritized being in God's house. And so to me, if you're going to find God, when we're talking about searching, the idea there is well you have to make God the priority. That's exactly what they did. They they were searching For God, in Matthew 6.33, there's a famous verse, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. For years and years and years, I heard that verse, and it really felt um, almost a little bit like an indictment when I heard it or I read it. Maybe it's the way it had been preached, I don't know. It just felt very condescending, almost legalistic, almost demanding, like God saying, Seek me first. Right? And, and let me back up and say, and I think we should, obviously. But the more I have studied that verse and the more I understand about God, the more I understand about His heart, I realize the context of that verse is not uh, God being demanding, but it's actually God being very gracious. If you think about the context, God's talking to Jews, think about this, or Jesus is, I mean, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching. And he's talking to Jews and he's talking to his followers and he's pointing to people who don't know God because there's a very clear delineation there. So he says Gentiles. And he says, you know, basically, and this is a very loose paraphrase, but they're seeking after, but think categorically what he lists here, food, water, clothes. And he reminds them that God takes care of even the flowers of the field. He'll take care of them. But he says, so don't seek after what the Gentiles seek. Well, me out. I mean, those sound like good things to seek after. Is anybody tracking with me on that? Like food, water, clothes. This doesn't, it's not like they're seeking fame or Instagram followers or, you know, something that's bad, right? These are necessities, right? And that, to me, is the hint that this is about the grace of God. Because what he says, essentially, he's just reminded them of God's heart to take care of them. And what he essentially says is, if you seek all the things that even you need, you're going to be anxious. You're going to worry. You're going to stress. But if you'll make, it, make that pursuit one thing and make that me, then I'll bring everything else into place. And I'll take care of all these things that you can't even take care of yourself. So to me, it's a very gracious, not command, it's, a, it's an invitation. Where God's saying, hey, if you'll make me first, here's the principle, and you've heard me say this. Whatever is first has power over everything else in my life and God's saying, hey, I have the power to provide for you. I have the power to feed. I have the power to clothe. I have the power to give you shelter. I have the power to take care of you, but you've got to make me first. And if you'll make me first, I can do all this. Listen, in my life, I can tell you, I can't tell you how many times I can point to times in my life where I just felt like everything's out of control. I don't know if you've ever hit one of those things like, my Lord, everything's out of control. Everything's going crazy. Nothing seems to be working. And in those times, what I can look back and tell you, those were the times when I was seeking God the least. And those are the times I needed to be seeking God the most. Because when I make God first... God's able to do for me what I can't even do for me. When I prioritize him, when I put God in that first place, and that's why Jesus says, hey, put me first. Because if you'll put me first, I'll help you walk, work out all these other details. And so with these wise men, look, they end up finding God because they put him first. They prioritized him, and then they pursued after him. As I, as I already pointed out, this was a 1,000 miles. This was nine months on horseback. This was not an easy journey. Not at all. Like today, I was so blessed. Um, There's a couple in our church and they came to the nine o'clock and uh, I, I saw them before service and uh, I was talking to them and they said, Hey, we walked to church today. And I'm like, Really? And so I asked, I said, How far is the walk? And they said, A little over half a mile. I'm like, Well, that's pretty good. You're good and awake for this nine o'clock. And they were. They sat on the front, worshiped. They really helped us out. Amen. But, um, but I thought about that. they said, "Well, ultimately we just wanted to save a parking place, so we thought we'd walk. So by the way,' we're, the parking should be all worked out next week. All right, we're praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Anyways, but to me, I thought about the intentionality and the pursuit and the sacrifice. Um, that, that they initiated in their lives to say, not only we're going to go to church, we're going to walk. Now, I'm not saying you need to walk to church. That's not what I'm saying. But it just spoke to me because I was thinking in my mind, I'm thinking I'm talking about this pursuit of the wise men who rode these horses for a thousand miles and you guys walk to church. And that shows me the heart and it shows God that heart of prioritizing and pursuing him. Listen, in our lives, in our lives, what does that pursuit look like for you? What does that pursuit even look like for me? We say, well, I'm pursuing God. But for the Magi, they pursued him by studying his word. They they pursued him by taking a journey. I mean, today, obviously, you pursued him. You've come to his house. But I'm saying every day of our lives, every day of our lives, what does it look like for us to pursue God? Are we having that time with him? Are we having prayer with him? Are we reading his word just like these magi did? Because ultimately, here's here's what I know. God wants us to find him, but we won't find him till we seek him. Are you with me? And so finding implies seeking. Here's the second thing you can write this down, is that God wants to be found. This is really the whole message right here. God wants to be found found. Just like I said in the beginning, remember, God is not the reigning hide-and-seek champion. God wants to be found. We read this, Matthew 2, 11. Think about this. It says, when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him, and they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, think about this. They found him, And they found Him because they sought Him. Correct? But who put the star in the sky? God. And why did God put the star in the sky? Because God wanted them to find Him. Think about the shepherds. The shepherds are just out there doing the shepherd thing. And then all of a sudden, this angel... right? And then a host of angels appears and they're having choir rehearsal right there in this field. Think about this. Yes, the shepherds end up saying, well, let's go to Bethlehem and let's see this great site and Let's see what God is doing. So, yes, the shepherds get to see Jesus too. But who sent the angels? See, I love the Christmas story because in Luke's gospel, we have the shepherds who would have been considered a lower class. Many times marginalized, overlooked. They, they were not influential. They were not wealthy people. And then in, this, in the Matthew's gospel, you have these magi who served in the courts of kings. And God, for the magi, he sends a star because, right, they're astrologers and astronomers. <laughs> and to the shepherd, he sends angels probably because they told ghost stories out there in the fields, y'all. But both are invitations by God. For, for so, those that may seem marginalized, for those that may seem like they're the very affluent, God in both is sending signs and saying, hey, let's watch this. I want you to find me. I want you to find me. And that's what God is doing here. He's sending a sign. Jeremiah 29, 13, it really echoes Deuteronomy 4, but it says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Listen, this to me, this is the promise that God gives everyone, that everyone who seeks God finds him. Everyone who searches after God will find him. That to me I don't know about you. There's a lot of verses in the Bible I love. Obviously, a lot of passages, scriptures, and all those things. To me, this, this one, to me, is extraordinary. It's extraordinary in the sense that here is God who, and, and I'll just kind of use some hyperbole here to make the point, who is the biggest and the baddest, needs nothing, and shouldn't even really care about me. Certainly doesn't need anything from me. He is so far above me, so far beyond me, so much greater than me, Right? Like, should not even take his time with me. However, this God, the almighty creator of the universe, makes me and you a promise. And he says this, there's no one that's ever sought for me with their heart that I didn't show up and reveal myself to. I, I, I don't know about you, but that's, I mean, there's some verses like, you know, in Hebrews where it says we can come boldly into the throne room. in basically God's throne room. That's an incredible verse to me, but this is an incredible verse to me because it tells me that I can find God. Listen, the greatest goal, I think the greatest goal in life is finding God. Jesus kind of reveals that in in John 17, really, when he's praying for us. And And he basically says, this is true life, eternal life. This is life that they know God. See, the question is, if God wants us to find him, why, it, why is seeking really needed? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Like, if God wants us to find him, I mean, couldn't God just show up and say, Hey! <laughs> Set one more place for dinner. Right? I've even had people that are more maybe agnostic in their faith ask me, say, you know, Pastor, if, if God really wants to save and God really wants to be known, why doesn't God just show himself? It seems like a logical question if you don't really understand relationships in God and how He works. Because if you think about this, think about this. If God were to just roll back the clouds today and step down on the earth and tell the whole world, Hi, I am God, and reveal the awesomeness and the majesty and the splendor of who He is, I mean, first of all, we'd probably all die. But assuming we didn't die since this is philosophical in nature because it's not going to happen, it would actually remove our free will because how could you say no to that? Right? So love requires choice. That's why God put that tree in the garden that was the knowledge of good and evil that caused all the problems because ultimately Adam and Eve had to be able to choose to have a relationship with him. They had to choose to obey him or choose not to. Because relationship requires choice. Love requires a choice. So if you remove free will, you remove love. So ultimately, God can't come down because if he just said, this is me, you really wouldn't have a choice but to accept him and say, okay, then I was wrong and you're really real and amen. And in doing that, he would have removed love. God is relational. And I could talk about a lot of things that seeking God does because I think seeking God matures us. I think seeking God actually builds our faith. Um, But the reality is seeking God is what brings us close to him. Think about the wise men. The wise men had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus because they sought God. Had they not sought him, they wouldn't have had that encounter. Right? And we know it was an incredible encounter. In fact, I may talk about this next week a little bit because it says they opened their treasures to him, and that actually means something. Um, and we'll talk more about that, but that was something. In other words, and, and it says, in, in fact, we will talk about this next week because I'm going to talk about the wise men again. Different message, but we'll talk about the wise men. But it says they fell down. That word fall down actually means to break down or fall apart or to collapse. In other words, this was an incredible encounter, that extraordinary encounter that they had with Jesus. And they had it, why? Because they sought him and when you seek God, you get close to him. The father of our faith is a great example of this, Abraham in the Bible. If you remember the story of Abraham, when Abraham when comes to meet God... Abraham does not know God. He's not Jewish. Right? This is he's the beginning, right? Um, it, there, was no, there was no Bible, there was no law, there was no Torah, there's there none of that. There was no church. He wasn't at church. He wasn't having a prayer meeting. He was actually a pagan, probably worshiped the moon god, the sun god, you know, all that kind of all that kind of stuff. But yet God comes to him and he says, Hey, I want to make you a great nation, right? And here's what here's my promise to you. And think about this. And then God says, So essentially, follow me, and I'll show you where you're supposed to go. Think about that. He didn't drop him a pen. He didn't give him a map. He didn't load it in ways for him on his camel and say, okay, listen, this is where you're going. Why did he make Abraham, who he had just called, why did he make Abraham have to seek the place? Because Abraham had to seek God and stay close to God so he knew when he was in the right place. Better than the place is the ability to discern the place. Are you with me? So think about this. Abraham doesn't know God, so God essentially puts him on a quest that draws him near to God in order for him to find this place of promise. Now fast forward because God does this again. When Isaac is probably somewhere between 15 and 20 years old, we don't know exactly, but when Isaac is somewhere between fifteen and twenty years old, God comes to Abraham again and says, "Now I want you to take Isaac and sacrifice Isaac on this mountain. But it's a mountain that I'm going to show you. Again, doesn't drop him a pen. How many does anybody remember MapQuest? So back in the day, kids, before we had smartphones, you could, and when we finally had internet, but it went ta ding ta ding ta ding. Y'all remember? You, there was this little website called MapQuest and it would give you a personalized direction. Yeah, it's really cool. It was high-tech uh, for us back in the 90s. Anyways, um, but the point is, he didn't He didn't give him MapQuest. He didn't drop him a pen. There again, he says, Abraham, you're going to have to sacrifice your son, but you're going to have to draw close to me and seek me to find the place. And I'll show you when you get there. Why is that? My personal thought my holy imagination what we know from scripture is there was no communication between Abraham and God from the birth of Isaac until it could be 20 years later when God says take Isaac up on a mountain it may be that Abraham had gotten so enamored with the with the promise that he had stopped seeking the Lord as he had before Sometimes this is the dangerous kind of that question, can you handle to be can you handle the blessing of God? In other words, if God were to give you what you're after. I've watched this as a pastor. I remember one time uh, years ago I was a single adult pastor and I would watch single adults come in and boy, they would be on fire for God and they'd be praying for a relationship and as soon as they got a relationship, I didn't see them again until that relationship ended. <laughs> and then they came, you know what I'm saying? I just it was easy I just, it was easy to observe because it was you know, a group of, of single adults. I'm just saying I've, I've seen the same, that sometimes we pray for things, and, and then God, we seek God, and God finally gives or reveals or does or works or whatever. It's not that they're bad things, but then almost we we get so caught up in having what we sought the Lord for, we leave the Lord out. I wonder if Abraham possibly did the same, because you see this really genuine Um, and vibrant relationship with he and God and they're going back and forth and having talks and it's messy and it's sloppy and that's how a relationship with God really is. And then Isaac comes and it's silent until all of a sudden God's like, hey, I want you to take this son and I want you to sacrifice him. And I wonder if yet God was saying, hey, you've gotten far away, so I want you to seek me again. Sometimes God will ask us for impossible things, it seems, difficult things. Uh, sometimes uh, God will even allow some disruptions in our lives because ultimately he's saying, hey, I want you remember that the pursuit of life is to know me. That's what Paul said. Paul kind of, in Philippians 3, he kind of lists all these extraordinary accolades of his life, his education, his birthright, all these things. And he says, these things really are worthless because really the pursuit here is to know God. And sometimes I think God... Has to get our attention because God ultimately wants us to seek Him because God ultimately wants us to find Him. There's this really cool verse. I'll read it in just a minute, but here's the point that I think it makes God wants us to find everything in Him. Because, you know, there, there are good things like peace. How I many know peace is a good thing? Peace is a great thing. I've had it. I've been without it. I like it. Are you with me? Joy is a good thing. Relationships are good things. Blessings are good things. Wisdom are good things. Understanding is a good thing. All of those are good things. But God wants us to find those things in Him. Watch this. Psalm 34 verse 10. It says, The young lions suffer want and hunger. But look at this. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Who lacks no good thing? Those who seek the Lord, right? Matthew 33, think about this. When, when, when Jesus says, "Seek first the kingdom let me help you with that. To seek first the kingdom means to seek first the king. So someone said, "Well, how do I seek the kingdom first? Start with seeking the king. First it's really what we see with the wise men that we three kings and we're seeking the king and we're trying to find him who is born king of the Jews and we'll get on our horses and we'll ride for nine months and we'll go talk to this crazy guy named Herod and, and then we'll go off to Bethlehem and and why? because ultimately we're seeking the king. See there's listen to me there's nothing wrong with needing peace absolutely nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with wanting a relationship or believing God for provision or any of those things. But here's what you have to understand. God wants, first and foremost... God wants you to seek Him. And God wants you to find everything in Him. He said, seek first the kingdom and these things will be added. See, when we seek the things we want God to add, even though they're good things that God does add, but when we seek the blessings, the provision, the goodness of God, the things of God above the heart of God, the face of God, the person of God, we end up making idols out of good things that God wanted us to have anyway. But when we put God first and we seek God, we find out that everything we ever needed is in Him. God wants you to be close to Him. He wants you to be near Him. And that's why you'll never, listen to me, this is what I've learned. I've, I've been walking with Jesus, I don't know, a long time. Here's what I've learned. You never graduate seeking. Isn't that interesting? You never graduate seeking. It's never like, well, seeking was something. When I was first getting to know the Lord, I really have to seek him. No, today, listen, as a pastor, I'm seeking God for wisdom every day. As a husband husband, I'm seeking God for wisdom. As a a father, I'm seeking God for wisdom. As a pastor, I'm seeking God and saying, God, I still need to know you. I want to know you more. Even as a husband, father, just as a person, I'm saying, Hey, God, the highest pursuit of my life is I have to know you. So there are still things God has to give me, wisdom and understanding, sometimes peace, those type of things. But there's still this heart that says, God, I still don't know you as much as I could. I still don't know you maybe as much as I should. God, I still feel like there's a lot of things that I don't understand, and there's a lot of parts of you that I still don't get. There's still some things that aren't clear. And so there is a constant, here's what I'm saying in the body of Christ as believers, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. You don't ever graduate seeking God. You never grow out of it and you never grow beyond it. We will all seek God because it is seeking God that keeps us close to him. It is seeking God that brings us near to him. And it is seeking God that gives us these incredible encounters like the wise men had where we catch glimpses of Him and we get to see the radiance of His glory. Let me show you something really cool. Because remember how I said sometimes in seeking, you find things you didn't even know you were looking for. You remember me talking about that? And I said, oh, here's a hint. I'm foreshadowing. Watch this. So Matthew 2.12, it says, this is after they see Jesus. It says, being divinely warned in a dream. That they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country another way. Look at this. They didn't know it. I think Herod was going to kill them. Now we know God protects Jesus from what we call the slaughter of the innocents, where Herod begins to kill Jewish boys two years and younger. And that is in history, that really happened. Because God speaks to Joseph, and Joseph takes Mary and Jesus and goes to Egypt. Right, which is the whole fulfillment of prophecy and all this. So God takes care. He's going to take care of Jesus regardless. But this is God taking care of the wise men. Now think about this. They didn't know they needed it, but when they sought God, not only did they get to see him, but he gave them direction and protection they didn't even know they needed. you see that? And this is what I'm saying when I say God wants us to find everything in Him. See, God knows what we need more than we know what we need. And if I seek what I need, I might get that, but what if it's not what I really need? But if I seek God who knows what I need, then He can give me things from Him that I didn't even know to ask for. And I didn't even know I needed them. And here, to me, it's a beautiful picture because here these these magi have journeyed and they've seen Jesus. I mean, to, to see, as you know, the song says, the face of God. So here they're seeing the face of God. But because they put God first, they prioritized, they pursued, and they sought Him. God says, you know what? You didn't know you needed this, but you need my direction and my protection. So I'll warn you in a dream to go home a different way and that will keep you safe. And I'm telling you, this is what it looks like to have a gracious God who, who doesn't demand we seek Him, but by His grace invites us to know Him, and in knowing Him, everything we will ever need will be found in Him. Amen? Are you with me? And I think in this season, Pathway, as we're preparing and we're wanting God to continue to work in our church and we're wanting God to work in our lives, I can think of nothing greater to talk about than this grace of finding God and to remind all of us that whatever we need is found in Him. And He does call us to seek, but only because He wants us to find. Are you with me? Come on, can you give Jesus praise today?
1: Hey, Pastor Marty here from Pathway Church, and I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected. And there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app. We are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel and then also uh, make sure you follow us on social media on instagram on facebook look our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which god made and created and redeemed you for we love to connect people to purpose we thank you for giving us this opportunity and if you're ever in longview or you are in longview i'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend listen I pray God's best for your life. I believe if you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.